You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So, I do want to continue what we did yesterday and talk about the Chicago Bears, but there are also several other points that I want to touch on, which means my job today is to be concise. So, you already know how this is going to go. But I can't get away from it. I want to continue what we're doing. I thought it was interesting. I want to look at that kind of stuff. Um, But, you know, other things come up and I want to address it. So really quickly, let's get this out of the way. I wish I had announced it on here, but I didn't. Um, Coach Hahn did his uh, private Zoom session and got rave reviews. So if you'd like to get in on that next week, should be around the same time, assuming he's available still. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you get in on the Charles Woodson tier or above, you can get in on the private um, the private film session. Otherwise, just a buck a month would really, really help a lot with uh, what it is I'm trying to do here. Packdraft.com forward slash newsletter to sign up for the newsletter. Otherwise, make sure you are in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. You like the Packernet Podcast Facebook page as well as Cheese and Packers, the Facebook page. That's about it. I think you're all caught up. I'm sure I missed something, but it's getting left in the dust. First of all, the uh, injury report, it's not officially out, but there are some questions, especially at cornerback. Um, Jair Alexander obviously suffered a concussion. Kevin King, as far as we know, is still not cleared to come back. So there is a possibility, and I've mentioned this, you know, I'm not trying to fear monger here. Clearly the Jaguars are a bad team, but as we've learned, it's not about good and bad, it's about matchup. That's all I'm really concerned about. And we're looking at a Jaguars team that has a pretty solid offensive line, has a running back that has been surprisingly efficient, and has two pretty decent, like I've said, not elite, but basically two Alan Lazard-type players um, at corner. So if this is a team that struggles to stop the run and uh, has two adequate corners up against a really beat-up and lacking cornerback group. It's just it's not great, you know what I mean? So uh, that'll definitely be something to keep an eye on. Um, Obviously, that's not a full evaluation of the Jaguars. I'm just kind of taking a cursory look at the fact that they're not so bad that they can't overcome a really bad defense, right? That's all I'm saying. And if the Packers don't have good corners and still can't stop the run, which there's some positive signs in both directions. Like I said, I really like Josh Jackson. He's just terrible with penalties. He's way too grabby. But outside of that, it's not like he's given up tons and tons of receptions or whatever. Um, Chandon has been solid, um, Kadar kind of iffy, but not the worst, but it makes a big difference, right? All these injuries, you know, if, if Jair's playing, that really swings things the other direction. Also opens up what Patton's able to do as far as his, his trust with Jair taking something away. So that's number one. We'll get a more official, um, injury report and get some more updates on that. Uh, hopefully today, usually Wednesdays when that pops up. Not that any of it will be definitive, but it'll give us a good idea of a starting point as far as guys that we didn't know that are injured, guys maybe we were worried about that we shouldn't need to be worried about. Um, in addition to that, there I've, I've already addressed it, but since it's flaring up again, there are rumors about J.J. Watt. Not this year, obviously, because the trade deadline expired, but supposedly it's a foregone conclusion that they're going to be looking to trade J.J. after this season. And I, first of all, I don't understand that. I really don't. J.J.'s having a pretty bad year. 
the more he plays, the more his value goes down. Not just because his play is, is bad and it's more evidence that things are not going well, but he's getting older every second. And if you're offering J.J. Watt at the end of the trade deadline, you're giving them an additional half a year. So they get all this year and then whatever the remaining contract is, which in this case means one additional year. And you could talk about possibly giving an extension, but I don't know how much longer you want a guy like J.J. Watt. So come next year, the Texans are going to look to trade a 32-year-old J.J. Watt who's clearly fallen off a cliff for seven for a $17 million contract in which a team has to either pay $17.5 million to get him for one year, or, as I said, you trade for him and you offer him an extension, which could lower the overall amount, or, or not the overall amount, but the the yearly cap hit. Right? If you offer him a you know, two-year extension, so three total years, 20, 21, 22, and 23, and let's say you only want to pay him like $12 million a year instead of the 17.5, you take 12.5, or no, 12 million, so 24 plus the 17.5, you're dropping him from 17.5 to a little under $14 million per year, which maybe is a little bit better value, but the problem is you've got him for three years, and I don't think you want him for three years. Because he's just, I don't know. And I know a lot of people are going to say that's not true. He's just, you know, he's having a rough stretch. Everybody has a rough stretch. All the defensive players are having bad years. He'll bounce back, whatever. Even if that's the case, again, we're talking about a 32-year-old J.J. Watt. At some point, things just don't pan out quite as well. And I just think it's going to be hard to find a good value for J.J. Watt, especially since the Texans are going to be looking for big-time money. J.J. Watt's going to be looking for big-time money, and I don't think any prudent team is going to be willing to give either of those guys big-time anything. Because he's just not worth... I mean, he's not a $17.5 million guy. So that's my general thought. My, obviously, you know, kind of spoiler alert, I guess, not really interested in uh, Packers taking him. And I know a lot of people did, but but this is what happens, right? The the emotional reaction when you think J.J. Watt with the Green Bay Packers, with Zedarius, with Kenny, it's going to be the most dominant group ever because you can't get it out of your head that this isn't 2015 J.J. Watt. Every player falls apart. Lawrence Taylor was one of the most dominant human beings on planet Earth. Absolute freakish human being. One of my all-time favorites in terms of just going back and watching highlights of, of football players. He's available. He's a free agent. He's 61 years old. Anybody interested? I mean, I, obviously I'm being ridiculous, but you get the point, right? I mean, it's that's exactly the point. Things change over time. You get to be 31, 32 years old, especially when, you know, the, the, more, the more talent you have that is dependent on physical ability which is why, you know, quarterbacks and kickers and whatnot, even though obviously there's a physical element to it, but there's more of a cerebral nature. You know, kicking is, is it's the motion. The more everything you depend on is physical, the more that starts to fall apart. It's like I talked about with Justin Houston. He dominated the league for a very long time just being a physical freak. The only way he revived his career is with our current pass rush coach, who had to teach him about a lot of different technique and whatnot, because he's not going to win on just brute force ability anymore. Now, maybe J.J. Watt can kind of do that because he doesn't just have that that extra step, but that does deteriorate over time. It's just, it's it's not something that you can beat. It's not something that some people can figure out. Even Frank Gore, while Frank Gore's still doing it, it's become a mental thing for him. He's clearly not the most physically gifted running back in the league. He's a running back technician. So the fact of the matter is we have to, if we, if you want J.J. Watt, fine, but you have to make a case for wanting 2021 J.J. Watt, which means you have to actually look at what he is now, project what it is he's going to be next year, and then 
forget the name, forget the player, forget where he came from, forget his history. Look at the human being as he is. Erase all the details and say, what is that worth? For example, right now, J.J. Watt, his grade as a pass rusher is a 67.9, which is average. He's 37th out of uh, 119. So, you know, obviously could be worse, but that's what you have to view him as. Average. His pass rush rate, which is incredibly important, by the way, 26 pressures on 296 attempts. That's horrible. That's really bad. And you could say, well, he's being double teamed and this, that, and the other, so maybe if he goes to a team in which they have better pass rushers, okay, it still doesn't explain the drop-off. You're telling me he's never been double teamed in his career? Come on now. I'm not saying nobody should go get him, but just be very wary of what you're willing to do, because I know people out there are going to be saying, we should be throwing first-round pick easy. What's a first-round pick worth anyways? As a matter of fact... And I, here I go with my uh, ranting and raving, but I've been um, been meaning to bring this up because somebody, and I wish I, I didn't mean to push pause, I wish I could remember who it was, but I don't even remember what the question was, but it, it really was an enlightening kind of aha light bulb moment for me. And, and maybe I did talk about this already. I think I did, but I want to bring it up again because it's, it's important and it's going to be my go-to whenever people say, well, what are you going to get for a first or second or third round pick anyways? These guys are all busts. I get that most of the time, but let's use... DK Metcalf as an example. What is DK Metcalf's value worth right now? Could you trade DK Metcalf for a second round pick? The answer is no. Would the Seahawks be willing to trade DK Metcalf for a first round pick? The answer is no. Unless you're offering like a top five pick? No. Absolutely not. They would never trade him away. So it's, it's, and I've talked about this before, draft picks are like the value of a lottery ticket. What is the value of a lottery ticket? Well, is it a winner or a loser? Everybody out there wants to ask what the value of a losing draft ticket is. That's what everybody that, that does that little thing, well, look at look at what we got in, in Kevin King. Was that worth it? Look at uh, Rashawn. Was that worth the pick? Look at, you know, whatever. They, they always pick losing lottery tickets and say, look at the value of that. Nobody ever wants to look at the value of a winning lottery ticket. You spend $5 on a, on a lottery ticket and won hundred grand. You're not being fair in looking at the... Everybody wants draft picks because when they hit, and it's not... A, it's not. This is where the analogy breaks down. It's not a one in a billion chance like lottery tickets are. It's like a one in 20 chance. I would say roughly. I mean, once you get beyond the first round, it's, it's probably 40% in the first round, maybe. After that, yeah, it's one or two per round that are, that are hits. And when they hit, it's unbelievably valuable. Look at Aaron Jones. When do we draft him? The sixth round? Anybody willing to trade him for a sixth-round pick? How about a fourth? The point is, when you pick somebody that's really, really good, the value goes through the roof, and it's ten times the value of the original pick. And beyond that, of course, that's how you build a team. And the reason they're so valuable is because they're really, really good, they're really, really young, they're going to be around for a long time, and they're unbelievably cheap. There's no value that you can offer me to give this up. I need this on my team. So yes, draft picks are ridiculously valuable, and the more the better. It's where Ted Thompson was absolutely correct. The more of those picks, the better, because that's how you build out a really good team. Now, I think he was incorrect in being completely unwilling to ever go out and get free agents. But people are way too flippant in giving up picks, especially when, when you look at things in that context. The Elton Jenkins, the Jair Alexander. What in the world would the Packers take for a trade for Jair Alexander? Nothing. Again, maybe a top five pick. Top five picks, you could probably get just about anybody you want outside of elite quarterbacks. Right, Pat Mahomes isn't going to be offered up for anything. I'm I'm not even positive if they would take I don't that would be a really interesting question. What would it take 
would they take the number one, two, three, four, five for Jair? I have to assume they would, but it seems crazy. You have the number one cornerback in football. What do you What do you want more than that? I mean, obviously their pick would, I would assume, although, you know, maybe they would take a quarterback since they were clearly thinking about it, and who knows about George. I don't know. But there's always Penny Sewell, but even so, I mean, best case scenario, he's the number one tackle in football. Worst case scenario, he's not as good as everybody thought. He's a good, not great tackle, and you gave up the number one cornerback in football for a good, not great tackle. I just, it doesn't, you know what I mean? What is it worth? So, I'm not going to... I guess I won't beat that to death anymore because, again, I'm pretty sure I've already mentioned that. But it, but it really is kind of an interesting point and kind of helps to illustrate the value of the pick. They don't like draft picks because of the busts. They need draft picks because of the hits. I mean, it's kind of like blackjack, right? You got people that walk away from the table with a bunch of... Basically, the Packers are... If I, I said I was going to be done, but it just dawned on me. The Packers are really good blackjack players. If you factor in the fact that there's, there's two things that are true. Most of their picks are bad picks. They are consistently a very good team. How do you reconcile that? Simple. They're really good blackjack players. If you play blackjack, you're going to lose a lot of hands. Even Maybe poker is even a better example. You very rarely win when you're playing poker. It's not about even winning 50% or more of the hands in order to win. It's about betting properly. It's being in on the right hands and placing the right wagers at the right time. Every single great poker player, whether it's Negranu or whoever, they do not win most of the hands. I'm not sure they even play most of the hands. That doesn't really factor into the analogy, but you get my point. They don't play because they think they're going to win every time they play a hand. They don't play because they think they're going to win 50% or more, or even 20%. But if they're really, really good and intentional about what they're doing, i.e. scouting and whatnot, and they can hit really, really big on a couple hands, they can walk away from the table as the winner. The, the overall, they can win the whole pot. That's what it's about. That's how you build a really good team. It's not about hitting on every draft pick, but you got to take swings and you got to get as many as you can. The analogy breaks down a lot, but there, there's parallels there. All right, next up, moving on with the, uh, the stuff. There's been a lot of love recently for Mr. Billy Turner, and that's cool, and he deserves respect for what he's done. But let's calm down a little bit. Because this is one of those things on social media where things start to snowball, right? And everybody wants to be on the winning side of something. And so now, like, the cool thing to do is to jump out and talk about how great Billy Turner is. He's basically David Bakhtiari. It's been, you know, we haven't seen any issues. Okay. First of all, I'm not going to say that Billy Turner's doing a bad job because he's not. But anybody saying we might not need to pay David Bakhtiari because of what Billy Turner's doing needs to really pause slow it down. Let's just really quickly look at the competition Billy Turner has had at his last three weeks at left tackle. And I pick three weeks because it's only been three weeks. Week nine against the San Francisco 49ers. He's playing left tackle. The right defensive end for the San Francisco 49ers had a hard time because he's played for so many teams is uh, Jordan Lewis. Jordan Lewis was a third-round pick in 2017 by the Cincinnati Bengals. He played two years for Cincinnati before getting shipped off to the Jets. He played one year for the Jets, um, actually one year and two weeks. Uh, it was this year in 2020, in weeks one and three, he was a Jet. In week eight, the 49ers picked him up. He played against Seattle, didn't do anything. Then week nine, Jordan Lewis, as, with his second week with San Francisco, goes up against David Bakhtiari. His second week with the team. His fourth team in four years. I'm sorry, third team in four years. 
In four years, the guy has had 45 pressures and five sacks. He's had one sack this year, and guess who that came against? Billy Turner, which, by the way, was the only sack given up in that entire game. Jordan Lewis is not a very good football player. In week eight against the Minnesota Vikings, he went up against Ifedi Odenigbo. Minnesota Vikings, as we've talked about a thousand times, have zero pass rushers on their team. Ifedi Odenigbo has a 64.2 overall grade, a 61.9 pass rush grade. He has 22 total pressures this season on 262 attempts. That's a pressure rate a little over 8%, which is terrible. His only game this year in which he's graded out as good, as in 70 or above, there's only been one. Would you like to guess which game that was? That was against Green Bay in Week 8. You know what his worst game of the year was? A 48.4 it was Week 1 against Green Bay. What was the difference, you think, in those two games? Yes, they did have an additional pass rusher back then, but Ifedi Odenigbo still was on the right side, and he played almost identical snaps on the right side. 36 pa- or excuse me, 38 pass rush attempts against Green Bay in Week 8, 35 in Week 1. His worst game of the season came when he went up against David Bakhtiari. His best game of the season came against Billy Turner. Now, I mean, the pressures were the same, one pressure each. I'm just telling you how he graded out as a football player, not the end result. Pressures and sacks and whatnot are a little bit fleeting. Right? It's kind of like judging a corner based on pass breakups and interceptions. Not quite to that extent, but it's kind of similar. Then in Week 7, um, they went up against the Houston Texans. The entire group is basically really, really bad. The highest pass rush grades was, uh, let's see, the highest one was a 64 overall. He was the only guy to get two pressures on this game, and that was Charles Omenahu, the defensive tackle. There were three guys listed as right outside linebackers, Brennan Scarlett, Whitney Merciless, and Jacob Martin. Those three each had a pressure, accounting for three of the nine pressures on the day. Jacob Martin is the only football player that's grading out not horribly this season. A sixth-round pick for the Seattle Seahawks. He has a 67.8 overall grade, a 61.1 pass rush grade. Brennan Scarlett, the other guy that Billy Turner went up against, has a 54 overall grade and a 55 pass rush grade. Whitney Merciless, 49 overall grade and a 59 pass rush grade. These guys are really, really bad. It's part of the problem with the Houston Texans right now. They don't have a good defense at all. Now, again, a couple points to highlight here. Number one, I'm not saying Billy Turner can't do it. The only thing you can do is beat the guy across from you, and he's done that, and he deserves respect for that. But let's kind of temper it a little bit. I would like to see what Billy Turner can do against a really good pass rusher. Second thing to point out, David Bakhtiari really hasn't gone up against a lot of tough competition. In fact, I don't know if we've gone up against a single good pass rusher the entire year. You also have to keep in mind, because you can list a couple people like Trey Flowers and uh, the guy with the Saints and blanking on his name. But remember, a lot of these guys were really getting off to bad starts. I don't know if they've picked it up at, at some point, but a lot of these guys have done nothing this year. So the competition level is pretty low. With that said, however, this low competition level has resulted in, uh, let's see, David Bakhtiari is basically an elite overall player, 89 overall, 85.7 pass rush grade, 83.6 run blocking grade. Billy Turner is a 65.8 overall, 68 pass blocking grade, and a 57 run blocking grade. One of these things is not like the other. I know that's not generally how you use that, but I mean, I could add in Corey Lindsley, 91.1 overall, 85.6 pass blocking grade, 89.5 run blocking grade. Let's try that again. One of these things is not like the other. In order, 
the uh, pass blockers, Corey Lindsley, 91, David Bakhtiari, 89, Rick Wagner, 77, Lane Taylor, 77, uh, Elton Jenkins, 69, uh, then Billy Turner, 65. So yeah, I, you know, I'm very happy that it hasn't been an absolute disaster with Billy Turner at right tackle, left tackle, whatever. But again, I'm not really concerned with what happens against really bad pass rushers. I want to know what happens against really good pass rushers. I know I can trust David Bakhtiari. I have no idea if we can trust Billy Turner, and neither do you. The only thing we know about Billy Turner is he was a terrible offensive lineman last year. He was clearly the weakest link, and any time we had anybody near the right guard that was a quality pass rusher, he annihilated Billy Turner. In fact, a lot of the really good exterior pass rushers who stunted to the inside against Billy Turner annihilated Billy Turner. So it's possible that he's just an elite tackle that isn't very good at guard, despite the fact that we have seen history of him with Miami and Denver at tackle and not being very good. But it's possible it all just clicked and came together this year, and it's just a coincidence that they happen to all be bad pass rushers. And just wait, you'll see. We don't even need Bakhtiari. Yeah, maybe. I would like to see what happens against a really good pass rusher. That's it. And if he can hold his own, great. But again, at the very least, let's go ahead and temper our expectations a bit. Um, finally, very, very last thing before we uh, switch our uh, attention. Apparently, depending on who you ask, the Packers right now have the second easiest strength of schedule for the remaining, the rest of the year, which is incredibly exciting. And I do remember before the season started looking at it and saying, man, this is going to be rough because the, the hard part of the schedule is the early part. And it really was. And you would expect that to maybe change because you don't really know who the good teams or the bad teams are. But even now, looking at it, if you look at the strength of schedule, which is really just looking at the records of the teams that we have coming up and what is the overall record, the, the Packers have the easiest, second easiest schedule for the rest of the year. So again, that's not just looking at the Packers and their ability to win. That's also, like I talked about before, a lot of the other teams have much harder games coming up. So who knows what the Packers are going to do? They may lose to the Jaguars. They may lose to the Colts. They may, you know, they, they could lose to just about anybody. We've already talked about that. But that's true of any and every team. We've seen the Seahawks get blown out. We've seen pretty much any and every team get blown out, with the exception of the Chiefs, because apparently that's just a thing that they don't do. So it doesn't mean all that much, but but it is what it is as far as, you know, having some optimism or pessimism, just understand that we went through our rough patch and came out 6-2, and two, which is fantastic. There isn't anybody. The biggest pessimists in the world can't look at me honestly and say, I expected better than 6-2. and two. I mean, obviously they expected less, but again, if they're going to complain, the question is, well, what did you expect? There's no way they expected better. Well, with that schedule, with just, you know, a bunch of divisional games and Tampa and the Saints, and I mean, 6-2 and two is garbage. No, it's not. Don't lie. So it's not going to be an easy stretch, but it's going to be easier than everybody else's stretch. So there you go. Anyways, let's take a break, turn around, and uh, look at what the Chicago Bears are up to. Ladies and gents, let me once again encourage you to check out ironjock.com, I-R-O-N-J-O-C.com, for the most top-end line of polo shirts, vests, workout shirts, sweatshirts, shorts, socks and underwear, running jackets, hoodies, and pants. I'm just about caught up with sending all of the ones out that I was backlogged on. I've got one guy that didn't respond, so I don't know where to send this. Another guy responded and said I forgot about him, so I have to send his out. But I think once that kind of calms down, we'll get back at giving some of these away. But if you ask anybody that is that has gotten their hoodie so far, I've had several people post. If you haven't done so yet, please let the people know what you think. But they've been awesome reviews so far. Because the fact of the matter is it just, it just is a good hoodie. It, I'm, I'm not lying about it. Uh, not only does it feel nice and all that, but it's it's there's a lot going on behind the scenes. 
The Enduratec fabric is wicking and fast-drying, breathable, anti-static, and eliminates odor because it has magical particles inside of it that are released when it gets wet and slaughters fungus and bacteria. Sounds like a really awesome sci-fi movie. It would be. It's also a hoodie that I'm describing. On top of that, they've got Enduratec Plus fabric in their long pants, shorts, hoodies, and running jackets, which are water repellent. So if you're getting any of that stuff, it's also water repellent on top of all that. So please, go check it out. I-R-O-N-J-O-C dot com. For a closer look at their unique collection of apparel featuring Silver Ion technology, like them on Facebook and follow them on Twitter at Iron Jock. Also, don't forget to check out mybookie.ag. The Week 10 lines are already up. Green Bay Packers are heavy, heavy favorites. I mean, I, I'll just be honest. I'm not touching this with a 10-foot pole, man. 14 points. That's, that's weird. That's just weird to me. Even as a Packers fan, it's, I mean, it feels good. You know, Vegas... They're not in the business of losing money, so they're not going to throw that around just flippantly. But that's just that's just crazy to me, man. You got the Saints nine and a half point favorites over the 49ers. I got to be honest, I am just loving what's happening to the 49ers right now. I I can't launch into it during an ad, but crazy. Otherwise, if you want to bet against some of our division rivals, we got Bears Vikings. Obviously, that's another great game because one of them has to lose. I might be saying go Vikings, but I'm not really sure because I think the Vikings might end up with a better record than the, the Bears at this point. Either way, though, one of them's getting a loss. But uh, three-point three favorites are the Minnesota Vikings right now, which is pretty telling. But no matter how you like to bet, my bookie's got you covered. Uh, they've got a fully-fledged casino platform with slots and card games. Uh, you know, they got the usual game lines, prop bets, weekly contests. So whether you're signing up to get reloaded or a first-time customer, make sure you're heading over to mybookie.ag. Use promo code OVERTIME if you're signing up for the first time, and they are going to uh, match your deposit halfway. So if you drop $200, they're going to give you an extra free $100 to play with. Please go check out mybookie.ag. Promo code is OVERTIME. All right, so if you didn't skip the ads, you just heard me say that the Minnesota Vikings are favorites over the Chicago Bears, which is really staggering to me I, I genuinely believe at this point I mean it's hard to tell with with how banged up the Vikings still are they probably have a lot of losses coming but I don't know that the Vikings don't end up ahead of the Bears when this thing's all said and done and the Vikings end up uh, with the number two spot in the NFC North not that that's a prestigious spot at this point but um, looking at Vikings Bears who do you root for I don't really know man uh, I might be rooting for the Bears just because I kind of want to see the Vikings kind of lose a little bit of that momentum although again you kind of want the Bears and the Vikings and the Lions to get enough wins that they're picking, you know, 15, 16, 17, somewhere in there. But anyways, as it stands, the Chicago Bears are actually graded as the, this is PFF-wise, the 15th overall team in the NFL. Their defense doesn't actually grade all that high, but again, it's 2020. No defense is grade out that high. It's a 69.7 overall grade, which is pretty low. It's the sixth best defense in the NFL, according to PFF. Offensively, however, they're graded 26th, tied with the Dallas Cowboys. Obviously, that's the problem. That's what we all already know, right? It's a, it's a defense without an offense. I think one of the biggest disappointments for the Bears, and to be honest, it kind of took me by surprise, was that switching to Foles did absolutely nothing to uh, help their offense out. The, the general consensus was, and I saw somebody post a stat, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something to the effect of the 
the big time plays or whatever have gone down since Foles has, has come out. And I think they're basically last in the league in that category, you know, like taking shots and whatnot. But the thing is, we knew that that would happen. And it's part of the reason the Bears are so slow to make the switch. They want that high end potential that Mitch Trubisky brings. He's got the legs to be able to run. He's got a cannon for an arm. He does actually does a really good job on some of these deep shots. It's just a play to play basis. He makes so many dumb decisions. My thought, and apparently the Bears conceded this at some point, was that what the Bears really need, having the defense that they have, is just a game manager, just a guy that's going to come in, distribute, run the system, distribute the ball where it needs to go, and everything will be fine. But he's been so absolutely terrible. One of the other really big things to look at here, um, Nick Foles actually the last two days, two days, listen to me, weeks, has shown some improvement as far as his grades are concerned. And even the statistics, if you look at the fact that I mean, he, against Tennessee, threw for 335 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions, that's a pretty good day. Here's the issue, though. And I've been, listen, this, this kind of comes back to David Bakhtiari. I don't know why it is teams don't value offensive line enough. I don't, for the life of me, understand it. I don't know if it's just to satisfy the fans that want wide receivers and running backs and quarterbacks or what it is, if it's to get the media on your side. I looked. I, I said for two years the Dallas Cowboys, who had an elite offense, need to draft offensive linemen, which everybody hated. We have the best offensive line in football. Why would we do that? You got this guy coming up for contract. This guy's 32 years old. You're winning because you have the best offensive line in football. Don't let it erode. Dallas's offensive line is falling apart. It was two years ago the Bears had one of the best pass-blocking offensive lines in football. Statistically speaking, as far as sacks allowed and all that kind of sacks and pressures and all that, they didn't allow hardly any. This past three weeks, the pass-blocking grade for the offensive line has been 33, 33, and 40 absolutely atrocious. It's fallen apart totally and completely. They can't do anything, especially in regard to pass blocking. They're not great run blockers either, but it doesn't matter what quarterback you put back there. They're not going to be able to survive back there. It's an absolute nightmare. Granted, it was the Rams, Saints, and Titans, so you're talking about three teams that actually do have some pass rush. Uh, The Rams obviously have, for the life of me, I will never remember his name. I don't know what it is about him. Aaron Donald. Maybe it's just because he doesn't look like an Aaron Donald. I don't know what it is. It's just, I cannot, I can picture him, his jersey, specific plays that he's had that are amazing. I will never, ever, ever be able to remember the name Aaron Donald. He looks like the last person on earth that would be named Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald is like an accountant who has like the 80s get up with a tucked in, striped, multicolored polo shirt with the big frame glasses. That's Aaron Donald. Not this violent monster in the middle of the Rams defensive line. I couldn't even remember the name of the team now. But the Bears, who got off to a really hot start, they went 3-0 and to start the season. They were 5-1 and after that, have fallen three in a row now. Now again, tough stretch. You got the Rams, you got the Saints, who they only lost to in overtime, and then the Tennessee Titans. These are three playoff teams. The Vikings are clearly not as good as the last three teams. I shouldn't say clearly. It's kind of up in the air, I guess, because the Rams are kind of iffy sometimes. The Saints, Anybody can be iffy, but I think as a general rule, the Rams, Saints, and Titans have at least really solid rosters. The Vikings don't. So they got a chance for a big bounce back here, but things are starting to implode, and, and I kind of feel like the Bears, the way that they're structured, the way that they're kind of a beat-down franchise, you know, they had it in 2018, which is the first time in a long time, and then it's been slipping away. They're getting terrible quarterback play, and everybody knows if you don't have a good quarterback, you're not going anywhere. The offensive line just has given up. The defense, as I said, is is a lot of Khalil Mack dragging the team. 
it just feels like a team that that is not mentally going to be able to hang on much longer. I don't know that to be the case, but it, it just it's it's tough. And then you look at you got guys like you know Allen Robinson, really really talented guy that's getting no support out there. I know it's his fault. I get that. I'm just talking about from a mentality standpoint. And then the Bears don't want to give the guy a deal, and everybody else there is is sticking up for the player over the franchise. And, you know, it's just it's one of those things. Somebody else was even a guy that left. They were asking him, "Would you be willing to come back?" And he basically just said, "Not for the Bears, I wouldn't." In other words, I'll play for somebody other than the Bears. It's not a good place to be right now. And you know, when you start off hot, you're riding high, you feel pretty good, but you fall three in a row, you realize your playoff hopes are getting dashed. You're not a team that's going to win the Super Bowl. You don't have what it takes. It wears on you. And if they fall to the Vikings, it's basically game over as far as morale goes. Then they just have a week to stew because they got their bye week after that. But they've got the Vikings, who they're not going to be favored. you got the Packers, who they're clearly not going to be favored. That's in Green Bay. Detroit, they got a shot. Houston, not so sure. Minnesota, again, this one's going to be in Minnesota. Jacksonville, they should be able to beat. And then the Packers again. That's pretty rough sledding for a team that cannot find a way to score a touchdown. The worst case scenario for the Bears is a team that is really good on offense. The Vikings, really scary on offense. They got to face them twice. The Packers, really good on offense. They got to face them twice. If the Lions are good at anything, it's their offense. The Houston Texans, really good offense. These are teams that are, even against really good defenses, they're going to put up 20-some points. I don't know if the Bears can do that. Can they score 24? If they can't get to 24, 25 points, I don't know if they're going to beat the Vikings, the Vikings, the Packers, the Packers, the Texans. I don't know if they get to 8-8. So they need to figure something out. Because the fact of the matter is the defense is pulling their weight. No team has scored more than 26 points this year. They've set the bar so ridiculously low that if the if the Bears can get to 17 points, they're 5-2 and two right now. Two of their losses came when they scored 11 and 10 points. Their loss to the Saints should have absolutely been a win. They kept the Saints to 26 points. That's not that high of a bar to get over. They couldn't do it. They made it to overtime, and the Saints kicked a game-winning field goal to, to get to 26 points. The defense did everything they could to stave off that offense to try to keep this this offense in the game. Bears offense in the game couldn't do it. Twenty three is the best they could muster. So um, I mean, the point is, this is just it's 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 so far removed from good enough. And and the real concern is going forward, which is another thing that I wanted to do with these previews. You know, going forward, they've got to look at what do you do in the future. Now, I think they need some defensive pieces, but if they go defense, they're out of their minds. They clearly need offense more, and although the number one target you're looking for is quarterback, there's some other needs here. I think wide receiver is a big need. Offensive line is is maybe the biggest need. Um, probably not running back, but tight end is a mess. We'll see what Cole Komet does. They probably won't do anything because they spent a second-round pick on Cole Komet, um, or if they do, it'll be a later-round pick. They don't want to double down on that. But you're looking at a team that, I mean, right now, Mitch Trubisky's in the final year of his contract. So you let him walk. You're, you're stuck with Nick Foles, Allen Robinson, Dwayne Harris, Cordero Patterson, all up for contract. This is their last year. Javon Wims is going to be there in 2021. That's it. Are they going to pay Allen Robinson? If not, they, they I mean, they got Darnell Mooney, who seems okay. Uh, you know, you got even Anthony Miller. He's, he's going to be 2021 is his last year. I'm assuming they're going to pay him, but he's been a pretty big disappointment. It's, a, it's always one of those, well, this is going to be his year. This is going to be his year. This is going to be his year. And it's just not. Then the offensive line, Jason Spriggs is gone after this year. Jermaine Effetti is gone. Rashad Coward is gone. James Daniels and Charles Leno are, are in the last year of their uh, contract next year. Bobby Massey's locked up for a while, but he's already 31 years old. Cody Whitehair has been a massive disappointment. I mean, there's just, what do you do with this line? Then you look at the defense. I mean, the defense, I, again, I know that's not their main focus. 
But the defensive line, Barcavius Mingo, Brent Urban, John Jenkins, Roy Robertson-Harris, and Mario Edwards are all done after this year. Hakeem Hicks and Bilal Nichols, who are pretty core pieces, especially along that defensive line, are in their final years of their career next year. So you say, okay, well, they're going to pay Hakeem Hicks. Hakeem Hicks is 31. So he's going to be playing next year when he's 32. You think he's getting an extension? I don't think so. Next year is Akeem Hicks's last year period. Unless he maybe gets like a one-year deal, that's it. And the rest of these guys, I mean, you don't want them to go away, but how do you not pay him? Because then you got nobody. Roy Robertson, Harris, Mario Edwards, John Jenkins, and Brett Urban. If they all go away, you just have Bilal Nichols, Akeem Hicks, Eddie Goldman, and Anthony Rush along the defensive line. That's it. Linebackers, Roquan, I mean, obviously they're going to pay Roquan, but he's in the last year of his career, uh, of his contract next year. Trevathan's locked up till 2023, but he's 30 years old and he's not very good. So even if, if even if it's not a matter of the contracts are expiring, there's a lot of guys who are locked up that are just way over the hill and not very good. Robert Quinn is 30. Yeah, he's locked up till 2025, which is ridiculous, but he's 30 years old and he's no good. So he's not going to make it to 2025. That's a joke. You got uh, the, the defensive backs, Deshaun Gibson, Deion Bush, Sherrick McManus, and DeAndre, uh, DeAndre Houston Carson. Almost every single one of their safeties is done after this year. Unless they get new contracts, obviously. But Deshaun Gibson, who is currently the starter, is already 30 years old. Um, Sherrick McManus is 33. Deion Bush is 27. DeAndre Houston Carsons is 27. So you got two younger guys that aren't very good that you can lock up. Eddie Jackson, obviously, you've already paid. He's going to be around till 2025, and he'll actually probably make it that long. That corner, Artie Burns, is done after this year. Um, I don't know if they're going to pay him or not, but Kyle Fuller and Buster Screen are in the final years of their career next year. So corner might be okay, and they've, they've spent a couple picks on that, like Jalen Johnson and Duke Shelley. But defensive line is a big, big issue. Offensive line is a massive issue. Quarterback is a massive issue. Wide receiver is a massive issue. On top of that, their long snapper, punter, and kicker are all in the final years of their contracts. So this is a team that is not getting anything done this year. The question is, how do we move going forward? And you know, you know what this is? This is a direct consequence of what happens when you give away all your picks for for one guy, Khalil Mack, and you know, traded for Allen Robinson, traded for uh, pretty much every wide receiver they have for crying out loud, Cordell Patterson, and some of these guys they didn't trade for. But the amount of effort they they put into picking up talent as opposed to drafting talent, and this is the issue. Everybody's old. Everybody's contract's expiring. We can't obviously pay all these guys. So we have to turn to the draft, and we got to make up for about three years of not drafting in one draft, and that's not going to happen. So if the Bears are smart, what they're going to do is they're going to get a relatively high pick, and they're going to trade back and try to get a couple picks out of it. Pick up an additional second-round pick. Get a offensive tackle toward the back of the first. Then you got two two second round picks. You grab a wide receiver and a defensive tackle. Start filling out in the later rounds some offensive guards, whatever. Try to make the best of this, but it's it's clearly a mess. It just is, you know. And and it's it's a shame from their standpoint, not ours. From their standpoint, to be a team that really felt very close. They really did feel quite close. But anyways, um, I, I think the Bears might have the biggest uphill climb at this point, unless they can get some really big hits coming up. But anyways, I got to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Wednesday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.